0: Oi, welcome to The Stories We Tell, a podcast about the way we read movies. As Mugatu says in the movie Zoolander, I am one little hot potato, okay? This week I was going to write a podcast and interview a friend about the movie Goonies to follow up on the formative years. I got sidetracked. I got sidetracked by a very intense and yet unexpectedly consuming response to the film Tar which is that new Kate Blanchett movie that's getting all the awards season buzz. Now, when I have a strong reaction to something, I lean in. I investigate it, try to understand what's taking root. Turns out that this was exactly the right film to bring into today's conversation, but before I get to that, that's, that's for the ending, okay? To quickly summarize, Tar is about Lydia, Linda, Tar, a self-absorbed but albeit brilliant conductor about to do a recording Of her finest achievement, her last Gustav Mahler piece. Now, in the movie, she's obsessed with Mahler. He's a conductor she admires and fashions herself after, not just generally, but literally, down to copying his album cover art and the tailoring of her bespoke suit. And the suit is very specific it's a light tan pant and jacket, light blue shirt. Now, anyone watching would just see a suit. But that's a very specific look. American, East Coast, New York. If you know, you know. Now, Tar follows Lydia, as she obsesses over the tiny details of this last piece. She's so committed to the study of conducting, she throws her entire being into it. The cinematography of Tar, shot masterfully by Florian Hoffmeister, really encapsulates this. Like, you feel her passion. You love her for it. And ultimately, the film asks you to use that passion and talent to excuse everything else she does. Now, therein lies the rub. Lydia, despite being married to Sharon, a beautiful and talented first violinist in, in her orchestra, with whom she's raising one of the cutest children ever in the whole world, Petra, Lydia is a serial groomer and predator. Yep, that's right. Our narcissistic lead has a problem with women. It's a very, very old familiar tale, right? But with a twist. His time, lesbian, is a narcissist. Oh my god, how novel! They made the main character a lesbian, and then give her all the attributes of these really, really bad men that we hear about, right? The story that we're being told here is actually much more disturbing. Now, I sat in the movie theater watching this all play out literally gripping the arms on my recliner theater chair seat, like, I must have exhaled deeply into my mask about seven times. Probably to the annoyance of my fellow filmgoers. I was fuming. It took... (laughs) It took... It took everything inside me not to pull out my phone and literally start writing this. The bottom line is this. Tar is a film about women who are untrustworthy. They lie, cheat, stalk, manipulate... Gaslight and betray not just Tar, who is actually a grooming predator, but every single female character in the film does one or all of these things. It's like absurd, is a kind way of saying it. It's ridiculous. Now, the film opens with Tar asleep on a private jet. She's seen through the POV of an unknown person's phone, who's recording Tar. Why text messaging, like, texts are, like, exchanging over this overlay. So, Cate Blanchett is, like, in a face mask, asleep on a plane, and you see her through somebody's phone is recording her, and then, like, text message about her being hot. Ha- like, they're basically mocking her. I'm trying to build you the scene, because it's hard to imagine unless you're watching the movie. So, immediately, the film is telling this story about someone being played by two unknown characters working together in secret. Now, any critic of the Me Too movement spins yarns about whistleblowers who secretly record their predators trying to bait them into misbehaving as if predators are, like, tricked, right? As opposed to just being caught. I don't know if you remember that, that tape that was released about Donald Trump, the grab him by the pussy one, which she's like, well, he was baited into that conversation. No, he wasn't. He didn't know he was being recorded, and he was openly talking to Billy uh, whatever the fuck that guy's name is, uh, I just know it's Billy. I was gonna say Bean, but I don't think that's right. Um, it's not, you don't set up a microphone and go, ha, here we go, we're gonna get him. No, people get caught being themselves, and they get in trouble for it. Now, you know, this film, in its opening scene, is, you know, perpetuating this myth that puts the blame on the truth-tellers and not the Predator, Opening the film this way lets you know two things about the entire plot, which is fucking three hours, by the way. That Tar is going down for something, and that this journey is going to tell us why, and that two people who are delighted by Tar's fall are working together in secret. It's all very Shakespearean, right? What's odd is that Todd Field, the you know the writer, director, producer, which it says very plainly at the beginning of the film, um uses this woman, this lesbian, to make his point. And that's not Shakespearean at all. And here's why. The inciting incident in this film is a warning from her dutiful assistant and protege, Francesca, played by Portrait of a Lady on Fire star Nomi Morlan. Francesca warns Tar that a former student and protege of hers continues to contact Francesca. The tone is really serious, right? And it's later revealed that they were in a thruple of sorts. And that when when that relationship went south, Tar cut her off and blocklisted her from every orchestra. Like, went out of her way to make sure that she was never placed in another orchestra ever. Now, when Tar finds out that she commits suicide, that investigation ultimately undoes her career. But she's too busy to notice any of this. She literally has the recording of her lifetime on the line, but betrays her wife, her assistant Francesca, her daughter, her integrity, and her entire, you know, music community in order to groom and seduce a new cellist. This new infatuation and, you know, basic distraction is the final pin in her demise. You know, because, of course, this talented cellist is actually not a victim at all. It's implied that she's one of the conspirators trying to trap Tar. The story being told here is that Tar isn't totally to blame. She's being manipulated by young, talented, beautiful women who know what they want and will do anything to get it. Especially seducing an older man, sorry, older woman in this case, who is so enthralled and passionate and creative that the line between art and sex is just too blurry. Now, have you heard this somewhere before? Truly, like... He's gone to really, really great lengths to bring in Kate Blanchett, who's fresh off Carol, and, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Nomi Merlin, who's fresh off Portrait of a Lady. So he's done a really good job at really indoctrinating us in this sort of, like, lesbian, very, like, coded lesbian iconography. Now, the story of lesbians who ritualistically groom young women and blocklist them, ruining their career if they disobey or reject them, have you heard that somewhere? Has that been, like, a, a really famous news story that's been circulating since about 2019? No. Of course not. It's literally Harvey Weinstein's playbook. Literally. This film reeks of Me Too iconography and references, and it's so fucking clear in the plot. It's ridiculous. Particularly its use of cell phone footage. But this film even though it seems to sort of present this, like, air of accountability, it's taking a side, okay? And it's not a good one. So here's where the film is really making choices. And this is where you can sort of see sort of directorial intent. Now, Todd Field went on a limb and said that he was the writer, the director, and the producer. So a lot of this is really being filtered through his perspective, you guessed it, as a white, straight, cis man from Pomona, California, which I take offense to because that's literally like the next town over from where I grew up. So I know this dude. Okay. I know his mindset and this is coming from a lived experience of growing up with guys just like him. Okay. There's a scene where Tara is shown like a doctored video of her that distorts a monologue. She tells this a, a group of students in the beginning of the film. Now, the edit of that video makes her comments much more overtly sexual and really toxic. But this quote-unquote example in the in the film, it's clearly doctored and they easily dismiss it. But that's an issue, right? Tara is actually guilty. She did hurt those women. She is a predator. The video was shot by her assistant Francesca, who is the only plausible person in the room who could have taken that video. Now, that implies that she was the second conspirator. So now you have a woman close to her, and a woman who stepped into her line of sight to distract her from her main things as the two conspirators. Keep those thoughts in your head. Okay? So upon the revelation, uh, excuse me, upon the revelation that Tar was grooming women, her wife Sharon forbids her to see her beloved child Petra. Now, Up until this point in the film, you've seen that she's like, you know, she's a good mom. Actually, she calls herself a father. Um, She is playful and kind and does things like hold her child's foot and uh, even overtly threatens a child who is bullying Petra in school. But without a word, without a conversation, Sharon just takes the child away. Brutally and cruelly. Now, keep going with me here. Because of this, right, so now she's lost her assistant, there's slanderous videos that are being dismissed, now her wife brutally and cruelly is withholding her child from her, now her live recording is being taken over by an inferior conductor, who gets to use all her ideas, translations, and implementations. And in fact, she shows up opening night and attacks him on stage, but she loses. She doesn't get her opus. She actually gets sent back to New York City, where she's from. Now in you know in the final in the final scenes in the film you now see her somewhere in an unknown southeast asian country functionally banished from society and there's a really interesting shot of her like in a cave under a waterfall watching this man and this woman play in the water and she's like far apart from them it total total banishment total like victim sad empathy sympathy that's that's what he's going for here now despite despite all these setbacks right she's working on a new piece with a new orchestra because that's what resilient brilliant artists do right and then there's a scene where she's you know goes to her hotel and she's like god you know i have uh i have tension in my back and i really want a massage so she's sent to this parlor and when she goes to this parlor there are these underaged women held captive and forced into sex work you know, like a la Jeffrey Epstein-style massage parlor, and she leaves. She, like, vomits on the street, repulsed by the implication that she would ever do such a thing, despite the fact that the reason why she's there is because she groomed and, and preyed sexually on younger women, and then when they didn't respond, blocklisted them. So, in the last scene, she takes the stage once more, a mirror image to the opening of the film, to conduct a new orchestra. And as the camera's pull back, right? And as she's guiding this new orchestra and as the music fills the room, you see that she's now playing a live orchestra for a crowd that's filled with cosplayers. And that's it. That's that's how, that's how the film ends. You know, you're supposed to see her as reduced to like someone who makes music for video games as if that's not like something that should be <laughs> you know, awarded and applauded. As if that's not music. So, this would all be fine if it wasn't for one thing. The real story that's being told. Now, let's go all the way back to the opening of the film. And that tailored suit that Tar gets made to resemble Mahler. Right? There is painstaking care to show you how this suit is made. Tar is measured. The fabric is chalked out. Hand cut. Hand sewn. When Tar puts it on, the tailoring is 100 Percent perfect. The sequence takes place immediately following the opening scene that I described earlier where, you know, she's seen through that POV of a phone. That tan suit, that tan suit with that light blue shirt. Well, if you know movies, then you know that that is a clear reference to Woody Allen. Now, also, Mahler, the entire orchestra that she's conducting, also has a very long history with Woody Allen. It's detailed out in Muller and film the case of Woody Allen. He uses a lot of music, specifically in Manhattan, all throughout. You know, all throughout his movies, Muller is a very, very, very big influence on him. Also, the film that she's conducting for at the end that has all the cosplayers—it's for the video game Monster Hunter. Now, I've added all these things together in my mind, and when when I say added them together in my mind, it means that from the moment I walked out of that film until this very moment when I'm recording this, I haven't stopped thinking about this. I haven't stopped investigating the codes and the signifiers and the messages and the themes and the things that I've seen on screen, because the story that it was telling me bothered me and I couldn't quite understand why. Now, here's the thing that my mind is settled on, and this is it. It's pretty definitive. Fuck. Todd Field. That's it. That's my answer. This film is a fucking love letter to a predator because people think he's a masterful director. They think because he can put down some funny words on a page that gives him license to fuck children. And even if you don't believe he molested his daughter Dylan, he still fucked a child. Just because he married that child and is still with her today does not mean he did not fuck a child. Full stop. But that's the story Hollywood has been telling us for years, that men of brilliance should be allowed to create their art regardless of the cost to others. The difference now, and this is very important, is that the patriarchy is using women to do its bidding. Now, Kate Blanchett, she's a very big Woody Allen fan, okay? She got her Oscar for Blue Jasmine. He wrote and directed that movie. And when he was accused, right... Uh, In 2019, when all those allegations came rearing back up, you know, she was called out for being really absent in those conversations. Her response? Quite typical. I didn't know of the allegations at the time. But that's bullshit. Because we all know he married his adopted child. We all knew he writes films about grooming young girls. We all fucking know that he is sex-obsessed with money and power and privilege and is totally fine using those things to fuck women. How? How do I know these things? Watch any one of those films, and they will clearly tell you that. Now here's what I'm asking for. It's time we all stop pretending like sexual inappropriateness is a small character defect, work work, or part of being eccentric. It's time for that story to die. Now, I'm not saying that Todd Field cannot have his opinions he's entitled to think whatever he wants about Woody Allen. Also, people can still like and appreciate Woody Allen movies. Most people do. The difference is this. Todd Field took his influence and power and made a three-hour opus dedicated to dismissing and discrediting those who try and hold predators accountable. By not making the movie about Allen or a man, he himself, like, he's opened himself up to this criticism. He's shaming the ones who came forward to take down someone in his film who was guilty. He has made a film about a man, or specifically, like... <sighs> I, I'm just... I'm frustrated. I'm so frustrated by this. Like, I wish he had made this film about a man. Specifically, a Woody Allen type of man who was taken down and held accountable for what he did. I would have paid to see that movie. 100%. But he didn't. Instead, he made tar. Which is clearly a nod to those men who have been, quote-unquote, tarred and feathered as punishment for perceived wrongdoing. And worst of all, he made the character a lesbian. Why? So that you could still get it across that, you know, people who love women will continue to fuck other women and use their power and privilege to do that as often as they want without any consequences. It's fucking disgusting. So, if I do nothing else with this season of this podcast, then let it be this. Men need to hold other men accountable for their mistreatment of others. All others. Full stop. Todd Field, (laughs) if you're listening to this, I have a word of advice. Next time you try and make a point, don't fucking use the LGBT plus community to do so. Fuck you and the privilege you wrote in on. Now, next week, we'll return to the regular season as scheduled and talk about why white men are so alluring the more broken they are. Until then, this has been a close to 20-minute rant without any music. Raw, emotional, yet intellectual and in-depth interrogation of the stories that I've seen, the codes and messages that I've received in my negotiation and albeit rejections of those because they are myths. This is Casey Bakamini reminding all of you to please watch carefully.